Welcome to episode 17 of the Narrative Wargamer podcast, a non-competitive 40k podcast with a focus on fun and narrative gameplay, as well as hobby news and our latest hobby projects. I am Tony Rhodes, and tonight I'm joined once again, for the first time in a while, by Chris Wildman. What up, dogs? How are we all doing? <laughs> Good. As always, before we get started, you can find us at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook, or you can follow us on Twitter at Narrative40k and on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. You can also contact us via email at narrativewargamer at gmail.com if you have any questions or if you would like to join us on a future episode. If you want to support the show and help us grow, you can do so by joining our Patreon from only $1 a month. The support from our patrons helps towards the cost of producing the show and towards awesome new content for you guys in the future. Finally, if you want to support the show for free, you can do by visiting the awesome folks over at Element Games for all your hobby supplies and gaming miniatures. Just use our affiliate link below to visit their web store, and that way any purchases you make will directly help support the podcast. Links for everything are in the description below, so please check them out and get involved with the growing community. Welcome back, Chris. How are you doing? It's been a while since we've had you on the show. What have you been up to? Do you know what, mate? It's like I say to everybody, I am fan dabby dozy because every day is a good day if you make it one. I have been ferociously busy working hard or hardly working. Uh, Commission-wise, things there are going great. I'm back into the game now. got myself a new job at my local hobby store at Bought and Sought Hobbies in Derby. Uh, check them out if you're Midlands-based or want to check out the events they've got going on. Uh, yeah, uh, I've painted, I went to that the other day, it's something like 502 miniatures so far this year. <laughs> so, so yeah, you've been busy during lockdown. I have, yeah, lockdown I painted, how many did I paint? 157 during lockdown. That included two new armies for two new systems. What systems were those? It was a droid army for Star Wars Legion and a Soviet army for Bolt Action. Oh, nice. <laughs> because for no other reason then, it seemed like a good time to do it. Excellent. So you've definitely been keeping busy. Yes. So, yes. So this is the first time you've been on the show since the advent of 9th edition, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. When, when How are you? June? What, what, what year is it? What month is it? Yeah, June. Uh, so it's... Is, it, is it 2021 yet? <laughs> really so it's just over, just over a month old now, 9th edition. Yeah. How are you finding it? Uh, I am loving it. It's probably the most fun I've had playing 40k since I started playing when I was like 10, 11 years old. Uh, huge fan of Crusade, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Oh, and yes. I've, I've played seven games so far, obviously limited capacity initially because of goings on across the world. But anytime I've had a chance to get a game, I've got one. I've got one in the morning, in fact. Um, yeah, huge fan of Ninth Edition. I think it's a good way to play the game for certainly narrative, but also the match play side of things. I've heard good things. Uh, I don't think there's been a better time to either start it or get back involved with it personally. What about yourself? How are you finding it? <laughs> I haven't had a chance to play it yet. That's the trouble. Who his boo? I know. I'm hoping, hoping that I'll be having a game on Sunday with Dan. So um, that will be, yeah, hopefully both my first experience of Ninth edition and of Crusade, so that's going to be fun. That's going to be Hawks versus Admech. Nice, should be very interesting. Um, so yeah, it's it's great to hear that you know you've been having such a positive experience with it, and it sounds like that's the case with basically everyone out there. 
Yes, uh, I think initially, I think the main grumble I've heard about Ninth Edition is the standard Space Marines are getting all this and they're too powerful, and they're yeah. getting, obviously Games Workshop announced that they're getting a load of extra wounds and weapons are getting made better. Uh, this too shall pass, I tell them. I'm a Gene Steeler Court player before I'm anything else, uh, and I shall bide my time like a good servant of the Foreign Emperor and wait for Ascension. I've been um, a long-standing Orc player for years and years, and it's fair to say they've had their ups and downs. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think they're in a bad place, to be honest. Uh, no, I agree. I, one of my Crusade games, which I'll talk about in a moment, was uh, against an Orc list, and it was one of the, certainly in the top three games I've played of Ninth Edition. Awesome. So, yeah, as um, as we've mentioned, tonight is the first of what will be a couple of episodes over here on Narrative Wargamer all about Crusade, the premium way to play narrative play in Warhammer 9th edition, or at least that's how it sold to us very much so. Um, and yes. it sounds like we're basically going to have more or less just positive things to say about it, to be honest. Um, I mean, it's just, it looks really good. I've heard the good things, and by the sounds of it, Chris, you've had a great time with it so far. Yeah, I'm an enormous advocate for Crusade. Um, so yeah, it's you know, I think this is the first time I can ever really remember that any given edition of the game sort of has a a front and center format for narrative play, sort of promoted as this is the way to play narrative play in this yes. edition. Yeah, I'd agree with that. You had things like Path to Glory, uh, you have campaign books like Vigilus and Psychic Awakening, which had a few narrative bits in, but this very much feels like a grassroots built from the ground up. This is a narrative way to build an army for 40k and play it and tell its story. I mean, that said, I do think that with hindsight now, it's clear a lot of the Psychic Awakening content is probably meant to be encouraging for Crusade-based forces. Yes. Like, in particular, I think the chapter upgrades in Faith and Fury, so stuff like Chief Apothecary, um, Chief Chaplain and stuff like that, um, those sort of things feel like they fit very well into the Crusade concept because you know, you're know you upgrading those members of your force to be those personalities. So it's not just in this yes. game of 40k, this chaplain can use litanies twice. It is that during your Crusade he's the um, chief chaplain, you know, of your chapter. So yes. he's going to be able to do all that sort of stuff. Um, yes. Similar he's with the custom drops for Orcs. Those games. Like, I'm very much looking forward to rolling out my uh, gun wagon that's just going to have Zag Zap on it, like, all the time. Brilliant. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to very much be this very personal battle wagon to my, um, as he is now, Mega Armored Big Mech boss. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it looks like it's going to be great. Um, but before we get into that, we will also catch up with what is currently on our pin station garrisons. We'll take a look over in our community edge highlights. So what you guys have been doing out there over on the Facebook group, and we're then going to do the spotlight topic for Crusade, followed by games played by Chris. <laughs> Because um, he, he is the only one of us that has managed to get some games in, but they've all been Crusade ones, and you've been very much wanting to come on and talk about them, haven't you? Yes, I, I want people to 
hear some good first-hand accounts about how it works, and because I've played so many games, I think I've played more games than anybody I know at my local gaming club, or anybody I, I know, it's hard to say. Uh, I'd love to give people my, my opinion on it, the stories that have happened, and how it works, and the impact it's had on my army, and on my collection, and my uh, my playing. Wonderful. So that's what we've got to look forward to through the episode. So before we get into you know, the real sort of like meat of crusade, as it were, uh, I think we'll take a quick break and we'll be back with our paint station garrison in a minute. Super duper. And we're back, guys. So, Chris, you painted a lot during lockdown, but what are you painting right now? Right now, uh, I'm painting some Umbar Berserkers for A Song of Ice and Fire. Uh, Commission-wise, I've got. Uh, I'm looking at a Cadian Bane blade that's been fully magnetized to be the Octa blade. So that's a. <laughs> that's, that's one a big commission. Yeah, that's a commission for a chap in Canada who's uh, been very good to me. This is the third or fourth Bane blade I painted. Not for him. Not for him. No, no, he's, he's <laughs> not, quite, not quite that bad. But uh, yeah, I can probably paint one of these with my eyes closed now. We're getting to the rivet stage where you've got to pin wash each rivet, so that'll be a job for Sunday morning. Um, I've just finished some Taraxi sterilizers for my Admech, who joined my Crusade Force. I'll tell you all about them later. And then I'm going to do some more Space Walls to join my Crusade. It's pretty much Crusade, mate, funnily enough, in this episode. It's all I'm going to talk about. <laughs> Good. <laughs> that just shows how much of it there is to talk about. It's even permeating its way into the paint station garrison. Yes, it is. It's hard to escape. What about yourself? What are you painting? Uh, right now, I'm working on some big shooter turrets for my orc trucks because um throughout all of 8th edition they've been living in in like index land since they've all been equipped with rocket launchers since forever um now as wonderful as it was for death skull trucks to be out at rocket launchers i just don't want to be playing in 9th edition with any index units where possible i get it um so that means that my Mega Armored War Boss has now become a Mega Armored Big Mech Boss, yep. um, which, to be honest, suits Zagdreg really nicely because that kind of always was his deal. He sort of was a Mech Boss before it sort of became an official thing with the cleverest boss upgrade. Yep. So he's quite fun. If anything, I just I'd like to try and convert up um, a teleport blaster for him. I think that'd be nice, but Wonderful. I don't have the I don't have the parts and. I cannot decide whether or not I'd want to build him out of Gazgol anyway. But I just think it, it bothers me that a Gazgol is such a big model now that you know he's yeah. literally got the monster keyword in game terms now. Um, yeah. That I just feel like it wouldn't sit quite right using him as a normal mega armored orc character because yeah. it feels weird him jumping out of a battle wagon that he's practically bigger than. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Capacity so, one gas goal. Yeah. As as much as I feel like I'd like to try and use him as a converted mega armored boss or whatever, I, I just think it wouldn't sit right with me personally. I think yeah. it looks brilliant. I've seen plenty of stuff online of people that have converted up mega armored characters out of him. Um but I think unless he is gonna just be surrounded by a horde of orc boys, I think he'd look out of place jumping in and out of trucks. I get it. Um, I, get it. I, I think 
he's a superb model though. He's very much as soon as he lands by himself, I will probably start a crusade force with him and then just orc boys up to fifty power level and see what happens there. <laughs> you end up with every squad of different battle scars and upgrades and that'll be fun to keep track of. Exactly, exactly. Um but yeah, so I'm just getting these um the city's sort of converted big shooter turrets made up because with all my trucks being made out of converted Imperial vehicles that have been looted, it means I don't just have a standard kit to put together for a big shooter turret. Yeah. So I've had to mock up the like top of the Torox turret. I've had to take um, one of the sort of funny little cylindrical turret pieces off the um, battle wagon. And I've even got another one that's um, like an orc boy half popping out the top of a vehicle, sort of like, you know, the space marines do on rhinos or whatever and he's Amazing. got um, a, a big sh a big shooter on his um pintle mount so he he looks like he's just gunning away so that's fun um it's really incredibly nice unique horse though i bet yeah <laughs> um but the reason why i'm particularly wanting to get them done is because if i get these finished which i'm sure i will um it means that on the sunday i'll be playing with a fully painted orc force for crusade incredible which i think yeah i think that it will honestly be the first time in my life i've played with a fully painted orc army on the table bless your soul which is why I it would annoy the hell out of me i like fully painted orc army i think once once you dot those teeth and you've got the eyes just right and then you put them down on the table it's like yes and then you pick them all up a couple of turns later and put them back in the case <laughs> I mean, that's why even in my Crusade Force, I've only got, I think it's about 37 Orc boys, plus then some Mega Nobs and characters. So I've got about 45 infantry models, then plus some vehicles. Nice. But it's all yeah. painted up, all ready that's to go. And I, would be, army, though, so and I would be annoyed as hell if I played that game and the only part of the army that wasn't painted was the two gun turrets on the trucks. Even the rest of the trucks themselves would be all painted, but yep. just not the turrets. Yep, no, I'd so cancel. I'm really... sorry, mate, we'll have to play another night. <laughs> yeah. So however it happens, they will be getting painted by Sunday morning. Superb. Um, and then hopefully, um, as I'm working on them, I've also got my uh, second Boomdacker Snazwagon ready to go as well, because with the advent of custom jobs now... I am tempted more and more to take the Boomdackers as a squadron, which means yep. that I need to get the second one painted and then the third one bought and painted. Brilliant. All aspirational. Um, but that said, I can also say that the uh, the Death Killer Wartrike did finally get finished last episode. I was just basing him up, so I'm really pleased that he's done now. And even though I started him back in March, he's now finally painted. And Such um, I'm really pleased with him. It was it was it was a lot of fun to work on. Was that one? I just really enjoyed painting the sort of biker boss orcs on it. Yeah. Because I, I I sort of typically have a, a semi uniform outfit for like my orcs, just so that I don't spend forever agonising over what shades of leather or brown to do if I'm trying to mix it up constantly. But what was nice yeah. with these guys was that I mean. That are biker bosses, they had to have leather jackets. <laughs> so it was nice getting in this almost slightly more goth aesthetic to them. 
as in old yeah. clan golf. So it's nice to see getting to play around with those sort of colour tones a little bit more than just the usual blues. So yeah, it was um yes, it was a lot of fun working on that project. Um, and I'm actually getting closer and closer to having my entire art collection painted, which I think weighs in at about three and a half thousand points. And I know I've got two thousand points of painted now. Excellent. Um, and a bunch of it's tied up in battle wagons, to be honest. So once I get those painted, I'll be more or less there. Yeah, and then I can buy more stuff. Just, yeah, exactly. It'd be interesting to see what they get, because we know they're going to get some new stuff, but we don't know what. Yeah, I'm wondering whether or not the spoilers they've shown is going to be some new Orc Boy kits. Like, I almost can't decide if I'd like that or not, I think... because I, I, I don't know if I'd see the generational jump between my existing painted Orc Boys and a new kit of Orc Boys. Yeah, I don't think the old boys need it. I think the boys' kit is still amazing. It's, I mean, it's a shame that they don't stand up to primaries, but what does these days? Um, but I think in terms of a lot of the kind of generic troops of Warhammer 40,000 range, I think they stand up fine, personally. I think, though, that they might have snuck in um, the production queue because there's in the past two years or so, there's been a lot of new orc sculpts for Blood Bowl. Correct, um, yes including the brand new Black Orc team that's going to be coming out soon, which, by the way, if you haven't seen them, I think they would make brilliant snakebite knobs. Yes. Like, yeah, just put some brutal choppers on them. Yeah, and um, I think that maybe because they've obviously had to do some sculpts on the ground up for the Orc Blood Bowl team and the Black Orc ones, a couple of other things for Blood Bowl, I won't be surprised if they... I mean, even with the um, all the buggies back in 2017, all the Orc um, drivers and gunners, they're all new sculpts. So I won't be surprised if yeah. they've just... It, I mean, I don't know enough about model design as such, but I can imagine there's some sort of template there to work with to just produce an Orc boys kit rather than having to do it from scratch. Yeah. Or maybe I'm just hopeful... As I'm sure a lot we'll of players out there are. <laughs> I think we a new Warboss could be nice, like a nice new gen, or even just a generic HQ for Orcs. Because um, I, I love the old metal one with the uh, big custom shooter and the uh, chain axe sticking out in front of him. I absolutely adore that sculpt. I still, yeah, I, I do feel like Orcs need some new, like, HQ Warboss options because I find yeah. it ridiculous that, I mean, one, I still can't believe there isn't a plastic, generic orc war boss in Mega Armor. I mean, they yeah. even put a big mech in Mega Armor in the Mega Knobs kit. Why did they just not put like some war boss parts in there as well? I don't know. Um, and then secondly, I sort of find it kind of ridiculous that you can't really easily get hold of an orc war boss with a big chopper. Yeah. So, yeah. I want, my, I want my war bosses, big axes, and mega armor. That's all I want. Uh, so, yeah, I've spent most of my paint station garrison dreaming about orcs <laughs> and future just... releases. Um, but, yeah, without 
We've got Dave here to go through his complete tally of stuff that he always blitzes through. It's uh, probably a shorter section than we normally have. Uh, yeah, and I'll, to be honest I'll, as well. I'll just generalise and say I've painted a lot. Yeah, and to be honest, it's not been um, like six or seven weeks since the last episode like it was last time. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not surprised I haven't got through as much. Uh, but I'll tell you what, who has been busy doing lots and lots of stuff? Our lovely listeners over in the Facebook group. Aren't they good? They are good. So we'll be back in a second, guys, with our community edge highlights. Are you enjoying the Narrative Wargamer podcast? If you are, why not check out our community Facebook group at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook. We share our latest hobby projects and narrative battles and aim to grow a community for casual and narrative 40k players. We're always excited to see the awesome things our listeners are working on, and it is a great place to hang out with other like-minded hobbyists. You can also find us on Instagram, at Narrative Wargamer, and over on Twitter, at Narrative40k, for regular hobby updates on our 40k projects. And we're back. So, guys, I have to say, you have all been doing some brilliant work in the group um, this past week or two. And I want to start by highlighting one of our regular contributors over there, once again, Mr. Adam Boise, and his truly spectacular Typhus model. Yeah, he's one big stinky boy. And... (laughs) You know, one of the most prominent features about it, really, I have to say, is that huge hero rock <laughs> that he's standing on. It, and it looks brilliant. I have to admit, sometimes I think when people um, try to make, you know, custom hero rocks, they can be a little bit over the top or look a bit disproportionate, but yeah, he's done really well with it. I think one of the really, just really neat little touches about it is he's kept it pretty much confined to the sort of like confines of the base yeah it's not one of these hero rocks that's looks like they're surfboarding because it's like the piece yeah, of slate that are always bigger than the base yeah no it looks really really good and the whole um sort of like toxic goo pool in front of him with this half submerged pox walker just looks brilliant yeah and, i like um, um one of my things about big kind of exuberant bases is that when someone's used cork and you can tell it's cork it's just kind of like there's not been any filler or material applied to kind of build it up and make it look like not cork whereas that it could be cork it might not be cork uh, and that's a really really nice little feature and it's covered in details as well to detract away from thinking about what it could be made of and yeah the little details like the pot walker the trickle of slime coming out the pipe onto the floor of the base very, very I also cool. really like that little tuft of um, like uh, static grass has got the one that's sort of almost like alieny because it's all red like and reds green. and yellow yeah red and green but it fits really nicely and just gives it a little highlighted color because i think without that little grass tuft it would look like a darker model uh, it just adds yeah. a little lightness to it that's brilliant yes yeah, that little bit of red to go alongside the blood on the scythe that's really really nice i like uh and i've not been a fan of this in any incarnation so far is the flies coming out of this backpack those are really, really nice. I think they, they painted them, the heavy metal guys did them in like a white bluey smoke coming out of his destroyer hive. Whereas that kind of offset toxic green is really, really nice. I think it suits it much better. 
I've said this before about Adam's um, Death Guard. Even though the armor plates of them are not painted in green, because he does them in this sort of like off-tone metallic black. Um, yeah. But the model still has a very green palette to it. It still yeah, has definitely. that strong Death Guard vibe without actually being in the sort of khaki green color scheme. I mean, even Typhus, who I don't think I've ever seen Typhus done in, so like black plate with the white helm before, but it doesn't look out of yeah. place. He doesn't look not Death Guard. He looks brilliant. And I think he's, Yeah. I think this is also, yeah, like, you can also see a clear progression if you go back through the, the Facebook group and you look at some of the first F guard he did. Like, you can definitely see yeah. how he has developed his scheme over time and got better at it. Not that it was ever bad, but, like, this Typhus one, you can see all the little touches that he sort of learned and developed throughout his other Death Guard models all coming together for this one, and it, it really does look like a brilliant centerpiece model. Yeah, which is great to see. Progression is always nice. So yeah, well done, Adam. And uh, I look forward to seeing more of those Death Guard, or possibly even to whatever it is you move on to next, because I'm sure you'll be running out of Death Guard soon at the rate that you're going through them. 80 pox walkers is the minimum, I think. Although, that said, he has also been keeping himself very busy with his uh, terrain that he's been putting together for his new 9th edition Realm of Battle board, hasn't he? Yes, that looks tremendous. Plenty of nice line of sight blocking bits. Interesting to think how he's going to play them with the new terrain rules. But uh, irregardless, it's a smashy looking board. Yeah, and he's basically he's created a whole load of these um, sort of. I can't remember the like styrofoam or pink foam or whatever it is, but these, you know, steeped rocky outcrops and um, rocky hills, and they look brilliant. And he, he talked about them in the. Um, in the group about how he's made them and uh it sounds like a really just good efficient little way of making them like not too expensive they look really nice and they're really quick to do so if you want to know yeah if you want to know how to make some rocky outcrops for your own boards go check out adam's posts um he's got a little rundown of how he's done them over there so yeah excellent work um and then the other particular um, standout piece that I wanted to highlight was actually by um, Jared Dayton and it's his Iron Warriors characters because they I mean they look really good anyway especially the um, what are they called not, um, not Iron Fathers what are the, um, the Chaos ones called oh Warpsmiths Warpsmiths that's it God, I blanked on it then yeah yeah, he's got um, a warpsmith built out of um, Iron Father Ferios as the base for it, um, and he looks awesome. And as well as this guy, he's also done like his uh, Chaos Lord and Terminator armor, and he's experimented with as well, like molten blade effects, and they're really striking, and they uh, they stand out as the real thing that draws your eye when you look at them. And he's, um, I think, he's done a little bit of. So like object source lighting as well with them. Looks brilliant. Yeah, it's with Iron Warriors you kind of some people think it's the easier way out because it's you know silver metallics, normal oil, uh, hazard stripes if you're feeling risque. So using a spot colour like the burning axe from the Demon Prince kit that's used. Really, really nice, really clever, really simple. But uh very effective. Good goings. But 
the other thing that I really wanted to highlight about them was that when he's posted these up, he's sort of really gone in depth with the little lore behind these characters and like what they're going on, what goings on there are in the warband and stuff. And I really enjoyed reading them. So I actually just wanted to read out the little, just this, this is just a post he's put in the group. So it's not long, but it's just a really detailed little insight into what makes these characters tick. And I can imagine them playing out on the boards like this. You know, I can just imagine these being the characters leading his crusade. Yeah. So he's, he wrote here about his, um, his Chaos Lord. I'm going to butcher this name. Warsmith Leander Melaios. Leander Menelaos. Something similar. Uh, Leander Menelaos. Menelaos. There we go. I'll oh, say comfortably embrace for a story. Yeah. Leader of the 66th Grand Battalion, the Tarnished, a subscriber to the traditional practices of the Fourth Legion. Menelaos. Menelaos was raised in, uh, into being in, toward, in towards the end of the Horus Heresy in preparation for the Siege of Terror. He is staunchly loyal to the Legion and has sought to keep his warband from being seduced by the more sinister temptations of the Runous powers. Despite his efforts... A cult dedicated to the corrupting power of chaos is growing within the warband. With cracks in the unity of his forces beginning to show, Leander must hold his forces together in order to navigate the myriad threats present in the Antios sector. So to me, that almost reads like something of a, a loyalist space marine captain, you know, having to deal with the sort of politics within the Imperium. And actually, yep. this is about his Iron Warriors, uh, Warsmith. And I think it just gives that real insight to having to treat chaos as a means to an end and yes. not something that's just power for the sake of power. Yeah, very much the Iron Warrior's way and the Night Lord's way. It's, you know, we, we don't want anything to do with the demonic side of it unless we absolutely have to. And yet, his second character um, is almost represents that other side of the coin, that rare instance of or rarer instance, not that it doesn't happen, of an Iron Warrior who kind of embraces the more demonic aspects of Chaos. Yeah. So this was talking about the character he's created from um, Iron Varvaferios. So this, again, this very large and imposing warpsmith. Siege Captain Rogar Norixus. I think I got that one right. Much easier. The Forge Father. Master of the Forsaken, a senior brother in the Fourth Legion warband, the Tarnished, Norixus was responsible for establishing contact with the blighted Hellforge of Zelarak. His subsequent return brought many bounties, and some might say curses, to the warband. From war machines to ships, the alignment of interests he managed to broker was proving fruitful for the growing numbers of warriors under his command. Subsequently, vast reliance on warp-fueled power spread corruption creeping into the ranks of the Iron Warriors. With growing ambition and a lust for power, he utilised his newfound status to rally the increasing numbers of so-called Forsaken to join his ideas. A scheme has fought, a schism has formed in the warband, with the relatively Puritan-minded of the Tarnished having a deep mistrust of their newly warp-empowered brothers. While such individuals have been previously shunned within the Iron Warriors' Grand Battalion, the sheer number of Forsaken has led to them becoming a powerful player in the inter-nuanced politics of the warband. 
Additionally, Narexus has powerful eyes in the Mechanicum on Zelorak. With his ultimate, what his ultimate goal is remains to be seen, but his lust for power within the warband is apparent to all around him. Like, yeah, it's a lovely read. And there, that, right? yeah, that reads to me like a little excerpt that you get in the like codexes and stuff, or yes. in like a community, uh, or the description for a, a library novel, which is really really good. Yeah, and that's brilliant. And I can just see now this idea of um, Jared's Iron Warriors forces being led by these two like um, politically opposed leaders and um, yeah, nutters. <laughs> and I think it's really cool. And so it's it gives him the opportunity to explore the more demonic aspect of chaos within his Iron Warriors, which is something you don't typically see. But he's really yeah. making it his own. He's sort of written this, this sort of reason and this almost sub faction of the tarnished. Um, no, sorry. It's really nice because you get kind yeah. of uh, in the, the latest Siege of Terror book, Saturnine, you get a glimpse into the Iron Warriors as well as the uh, Black Legion and a few other of the Chaos Warbands and how they're kind of looking at their warriors slowly turn to chaos and they're staring at each other going, ah, oh, crap, what have we done? <laughs> So this kind yeah. of plays off like that, that, you know, it's the eternal sin that will they ever get penance for? Probably not, but uh, yeah. It's brilliant, and it really just caught my eye when I saw it. Like, I sat there reading it, and just like, this is brilliant. Like, I'd love to play these Iron Warriors. I'd love to yes. know that, you know, the goings-ons and the battles that they're taking behind are contributing towards this larger motivation or sinister motivation that these characters have. And it really yeah, just really helps nice to see um, when Chaos get a new codex, because uh, obviously the new codices are going to feature Crusade rules specific to the factions, how Demonhood and Boons would affect your Crusade force. So you could imagine the bitter irony of... Um, uh, sorry, I've got his name. Siege Captain Rogar watching uh, Warsmith Leander Menelos, who abhors the demon, Ascent to demonhood through whatever scheme, and just like the bitter irony of that, I think that'd be absolutely amazing. Yeah, and you know full well there's going to be something in the future chaos codexes for demonhood ascension within Crusade. Yeah, like it's just going to be a thing, and it's going to be cool. So I think we've, uh, I think we've sort of touched on it enough now that uh, we might as well actually get into the the bulk of Crusade. Like we've talked about sort of things that we've been building in our um, hobby time to contribute to our growing crusade forces. We've talked about the law that some of our community members out there are really crafting now for their characters. So all of it, all of it builds up to this new brand new crusade system for ninth edition. So uh, let's, let's dive in and talk about that. So we'll be back in a minute. Do you enjoy awesome narrative 40k games as much as we do? Do you wish there was more narrative play content online you could enjoy? Narrative Wargamer aims to be more than just a podcast. Our goal is to become a wider platform for narrative 40k content creation. Right now we are just starting out, but you can already find 40k articles and gaming posts on our website at narrativewargamer.wordpress.com. 
We also aim to develop the Narrative Wargamer YouTube channel with narrative battle reports, custom missions, expanded gameplay rules and much more. If you would like to see awesome content like this, then please support the show via the Narrative Wargamer Patreon page. The support from our patrons helps us produce the show and expand our range of future content. You can support the show from as little as $2 a month and it really is the best way to show us you are enjoying our work and are excited to see more. With your support, Narrative Wargamer can become the number one provider of narrative player content from the Grimdark. Welcome back, guys, to what is probably going to be one of the most narrative gaming segments on this narrative gaming podcast, and that is Crusade. It's finally here, and I have to say... I was skeptical when it was first announced as to whether or not it was actually going to be any good or see any real support given some of the track record for supposed narrative gaming support from Games Workshop previously. And yet, it seems like they have delivered on that promise, or at least in these early days of Ninth. And um, we're going to break it down today for you and basically sort of explain what Crusade is, how it works and how you can really take your own little warband right up to a sort of, you know, large-scale army um, that's got its own personal character and development and its own battle scars and relics along the way. And, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be great to look at. It's a big deal, and I don't mean that lightly. Yeah, like, I think it... It kind of goes, I mean, I say it goes without saying, but it really does need saying that it's really impressive and really incredibly rare, almost a first, I feel like, to say that Games Workshop has created this sort of official narrative rule set for players. It just hasn't really been something they've ever done before. And it's something that I think is brilliant that exists and one of the big stamps of approval for it, I find, is that the community has really picked it up and started running with it. It's not been something that's just been put in a publication that's never been really talked about again. Like, for example, I'm still a big advocate of using the battle zones that exist across many, many publications now from Games Workshop. And yet, I still never really see anyone talking about them or mentioning them. And I bump into people all the time who don't even know they exist. And I think it's a crying shame. I, I'm always an advocate for trying out a battle zone. I'm going to try and convince Dan to use one on Sunday. Um, I don't know which one at this point because I feel using the dense jungle rules from um, Sire of the Beast might end up being a bit one-sided when it's had mech versus orcs. So well, I'm going to see if I can find a better fit. It's it's interesting to see as well because they announced at the last preview about that big train box that was a battle zone. So I hope we're seeing these big kind of tables worth of terrain boxes with their own sector rules inside of them that affect your games yeah so that would be excellent and i really hope that does take off because crusade unlike the battle zones of previous editions or from eighth edition crusade really has taken off by the community i see people talking about it all the time posting about it discussing the games they've played and how their forces have been growing and developing with it and just really really enjoying it so i think that speaks volumes that this stuff isn't just out there for people to play it's out there and people are playing it 
which is a big difference. I've noticed, especially in my local hobby store, where there's you know anything from 20 to 30, 40k players in a week, uh, they're all gearing towards Crusade. I think I went there, when was it? Last night? Night before? Last night. And there was four games of 40k going on and three of them were Crusade. Yeah, and it's it's such a such a new breath of fresh air for the hobby. Like not only is ninth edition really revitalized what wasn't even by any means a stagnant game system, like eighth edition remains one of the most played editions of 40k ever. Yeah. And I don't think it's gonna take long for ninth edition to unseat it. <laughs> global pandemics aside i think it's got the absolute best chance of smashing any kind of record for playability or player base for a warhammer 40,000 system or any or any warhammer game or maybe even tabletop game and Um, i think i think if the crusade supports there it'll grow and grow and grow and grow and grow yeah and that was something else that i've mentioned my skepticism over beforehand is whether or not six months from now is games workshop never going to mentioned crusade again is it just going to have been left to the community to do with but it looks like they are already taking some steps to supporting it as a system more so than i expected i mean they've always said from day one that there were going to be um faction specific crusade rules within future codexes but they have also recently announced um this like pariah nexus crusade book which basically is um it it kind of sounds like it's a an expansion publication similar to vigilus or psychic awakening that's exclusively related to crusade content and narratively happening within the prior nexus so i mean we don't even know exactly what that's going to look like yet but just the fact that they've announced it shows some support yeah, I was talking to my brother the other day about this, and we I had the realisation that I remember us talking about it on a previous show, about how much of Chapter Approved was dedicated to narrative as opposed to match play and open play. But then you look at the Vigilus books and the Vigilus campaign and the uh, Psychic Awakening bits, we've had a lot of narrative-based products, uh, along with Chapter Approved in its focus, come out within the end of 8th edition. So hopefully... Um, that continues into ninth edition. We've had the chapter proof come out with the grand tournament match play rules, which I assume all the match play players would have snapped that up to uh, get savvy on that. So this is a really good opportunity again for them to keep the focus on narrative and to get those books, products, downloads, PDFs, events, campaigns, get those out and keep the player base titillated by narrative play and get their crusade armies growing. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I was worried that when the 2020 edition of Chapter Approved was announced and it clearly was a very matched play focused product. I was like, oh, I really hope this isn't the death of the 2018 style Chapter Approved or yeah. I guess 2017 style or whatever because I really enjoyed them because I thought they were an absolute wealth of narrative gaming content. And, you know, we talked about many of the things from them uh, on this show. And in fact, we haven't even touched all of them yet. Still somewhere in the um, the backlog of stuff we're going to talk about is um, challenge missions from Chapter Approved 2019. Like, we've still yet to touch on that. So there's honestly a wealth of stuff in there. All and time. yeah, whilst it looks like that might be not what Chapter Approved will be in the future, it looks like things like these Crusade 
battle zones, like these publications, look like they might be that driving tool for narrative play instead. So I'm looking forward to those. See, we shall. However, for today, we're going to take you through how you actually build a Crusade Force, how it plays in games, and how it develops over time. And basically, we're going to go through the sort of the core structure of what Crusade is and how you play it. And then afterwards, you're going to tell us a little bit about some of the games that you've played, aren't you, Chris? Yes, I am. So I'm not going to say I'm an expert on Crusade, but it is the bit of the, of the core book that opens automatically on the Crusade game system. So, Oh, yeah. I mean, it has to be said that... So in 8th edition, they introduced the concept of the three ways to play, of open play, narrative play, and match play. And in 8th edition, that basically consisted of a selection of missions for each. Whereas in this 9th edition rulebook, when you get to the narrative play section, it's Crusade. That's what it is. Like, yeah. There isn't a selection of like Maelstrom missions or Eternal War missions or even the Crucible of War missions that we've seen in like Psychic Awakening and similar. Not that those things are by any means invalid. Um, they're still completely valid ways of playing narrative play, but within the confines of the ninth edition, Crusade is narrative play. <laughs> so, we've talked about a lot of what it is without actually really saying what it is. <laughs> what is Crusade, Tony? That's the question. What is it? So, it's this new system for allowing players to essentially have pick up and play games that actually contribute to an overarching narrative for the individual's force, which includes progression of the units and characters within their army. So it really brings in the sort of Necromunda or Blood Bowl style team slash gang progression to a 40k scale so that you can really see your army develop over the course of several games of Crusade. What makes it different to more traditional narrative campaigning stuff is the fact that it allows you to effectively meet a stranger and play a game against someone you've never played a game before and you can both use your two respective um, Crusade forces and not only will you be able to pick up and play with whatever current state of advancement your forces are in, but you should also be able to play, in theory, a balanced game between them, even if one of you is using a highly advanced Crusade force and one of you is using a fresh-faced starting Crusade force. Yeah, so if anyone's played Warcry um, from Games Workshop, they had a very similar system where... Um, oh, I can't remember what it was called, but their campaign system was your warband is forging its own story set along a linear path that was in the books. So you could go to any game and just let your opponent know, look, I'm doing... I really can't remember what it was called. Um, I think it was called Path to Glory or something similar. Something similar. So I'm doing a Path to Glory game. Is that okay with you? It means we have to play a specific mission and your opponent goes, yeah, awesome, no problem. Let's get this mission played so you can see what happens with your guys. So it eliminated the need to have that pre-organized, predetermined, hi, I need a crusade or a specific kind of campaign game. Who wants one? It means that someone who wants to play a conventional 
uh, matched play quotation marks game could still play that game against you and it would still affect your crusade. And I think that's an enormous thing about crusade because it takes away that obstacle of, oh, if no one's playing crusade, I can't play it. It means you can go and play three games against people playing match play or any game that they want to play, but it affects your crusade. Uh, yeah, so that helps put the emphasis on you forging the story for your army in there because it eliminates that barrier of I can't play because no one's playing crusade. Yeah. And I think that's one of the key things is that you don't have to have like a closed environment of three or four campaign playing friends and you all play your campaign together. And then if you're not playing with any of those players, you can't play with your campaign force. Like, I mean, by all means, you can do that. And I think there is a um, a good argument as well for running a narrative campaign within a closed group using Crusade rules. But the fact that it's dynamic enough to not have to be done that way is very unique and one of the real selling points for it. Okay. I mean, I think, I think one of the sort of key things about it, and I think this is who it it's really been sold at is players who they like to build and tinker with a, a take all comers list. So like they have their sort of standardized ish 2000 point force that they might tinker with an odd unit or two when they get a new, you know, unit. Um, But generally they know they're going to take this sort of same core battalion or whatever. Yeah. And rather than just playing, you know, lots of pickup games throughout the lifespan of the edition and tweaking some unit choices as you go, this allows you to play with that take on all comers list and actually give it some character that develops across those games that you play and yeah. actually see it become a narrative force, even though it might have started out as a, a balanced match player force that you were trying to getting you know practice reps with as it were so to that end the first aspect of a crusade force is the order of battle and this essentially is this is like your your army wide roster your pool of units that you have available to pick and choose from for any given game that you might play correct and um, yeah now, this isn't to say that you'd use every unit in your order of battle in every game you play. So your order of battle could be 3,000, 4,000 points worth eventually. you know. And if you're going to play a 1,000-point game, you would take a 1,000 points of that 4,000-point order of battle to that game. Yeah. Now, it would enable you to pick and choose from that list what you want to take. Yes. Now, it's worth saying as well that probably throughout all of this, we'll interchangeably talk and mention about points and power level. Because Games Workshop has very much made this push to make power level relevant in 9th edition for two key reasons. One, the fact they're actually supporting, updating, and amending power level throughout the edition, like they do with points values. And two, the fact that everything in the Crusade Force and the Crusade system is built primarily off power level although as we've mentioned before there isn't strictly anything here that stops you from applying the same principles just using points no the they, they mentioned thing... that earlier in crusades um in the promotion of crusade that if you want to use points instead of power level go mad again have the conversation with the 
the people you'd be playing with and say, do you want to play points or power level? Yeah, I think that's the main thing because if you rock up to a pickup crusade game as someone else has been playing their army based off power level, then you just need to work out what your army happens to be in power level if that's how they want to play. Or equally, they might choose to work out theirs in points for your sake. You know, just have that conversation and either or, honestly, works fine. I mean, if anything, I think it's going to encourage me to try power level. I've never... Yeah. I've never had anything against power level, but I've never felt a need to try it in 8th edition, so I never did. Whereas this game I'm going to play on Sunday with Dan will be my first game with a fully painted orc army, my first game of 9th edition, my first game of Crusade, and my first game using power level. So, yeah, I'm hoping to feel like I'll have leveled up in a, my hobby experience by the end of the weekend. Um, so yeah, so I say throughout this we'll probably talk interchangeably between points and power level, but both are good, and I think Crusade is starting to legitimize power level as a more accessible way of working out lists for a lot of people out there, myself included. Yeah, yeah I'll um I'll chime in a bit later on about how power level because I played exclusively power levels in this edition in all my Crusade games. I went in when it dropped saying I don't want to play points. I want to try and get away from that quotation marks balance of a points game uh, and I just want to put some models together and roll some dice and tell the story and I think power level helps me do that a bit easier but we'll cover that in a bit. Yeah. So, that's your order of battle. It's basically your collection available to you to play games with as it grows over time. Now, within your order of battle, every unit and every character has a crusade card. Now, again, a lot of this right now kind of just has to be done on paper. And this whole system does inherently have a lot of bookkeeping, which personally, I love. I love me some bookkeeping in my 40k. (laughs) But it is something that you need to be aware of. There will be a lot of bookkeeping if it's if that's something that you are normally finding if it's something you normally find tiresome or arduous to do. So just be aware of that. Now, uh, also with you, with you saying it's paper based, I will chime in and say that my my brother and I got very excited about Crusade as soon as it dropped, and he came up with a spreadsheet Excel template for Google Drive. So if you want, I can see about getting a link of that into the show notes, or if not, it will be in the Narrative Wargamer group for you to. Pick yourselves up, download it, and then I'll leave mine as an example so you can see how it looks. Oh, yeah, definitely do that. I'd love to see something like that. Any sort of resource that would be helpful for doing it digitally. Because I was going to say, I would probably have looked at just doing some Google Docs myself, my own Crusade for us, just keep track of it there rather than in paper. Yeah. Um, and I've heard mixed reviews about the actual paper journal. The journal's nice, but it's not, it's not very well laid out. Yeah. It sounds like it's a nice novelty and less useful. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, its practicality is is simply not there. So the the Google Drive document I'll drop. Uh, hopefully, you guys will get some use out of it. It's proved invaluable for me, definitely. Excellent. Um, I mean, the other thing is that I think they have said that hopefully the forty k app will eventually support Crusade Force tracking. Now, I mean, they need to get yes, the army builder on there, first of all. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm hoping that once they get the army builder on there, it won't be 
long afterwards that we see some sort of crusade tracker and i think that will again make crusade so much more accessible to people right now because i know that one of the things that made list building and playing games so much more accessible to a lot of people was battle scribe and it still is at this moment in time anyway um and i think that's i think because of people's not reliance on Battlescribe, but perhaps preference for using that sort of digital army builder, you know, these days. I mean, it is 2020. Yes, <laughs> it is yes. the digital age. Um, I think there might be a, a short-term barrier to entry with Crusade if people feel like they have to use homebrewed Excel documents or pen and paper to record their Crusade forces. And I think as soon as an official supported app is out there with the ability to record your crusade faction uh, your crusade armies then i think that's going to make it something a lot more people will try because of the ease of access definitely yeah so on each unit's crusade card you have a bunch of things that you track but essentially the majority of it is filling out the narrative stuff about the unit so you know names um, battlefield role, faction keywords, all the rest of it. But then it also includes a number of tallies. So things such as its experience, units that it's killed, um, what upgrades it's got and so on. And again, as we talk through each of these sort of sections of Crusade, anything that references units recording something, gaining something, upgrading stuff or becoming injured, it all gets recorded on the crusade cards for that unit um and yeah that's basically what it is it's not too dissimilar to your team roster for blood bowl or your your gang sheet for necromunda yes so the sort of the key mechanic that's tracked from a gameplay point of view is experience so obviously all units and characters begin the game with or begin their crusade even with zero experience and they can earn experience in a few different ways. The first of which is battle experience. So at the end of a battle, each unit that has a crusade card that was part of your army list for that battle gains one experience point. Now, I think it's worth pointing out that it says there for each unit that has a crusade card. That's because that's accounted for things like summoned demons or similar. So units which get added to your army mid game are kind of ephemeral in that they're they're not lasting members of the crusade, so they don't track, they yeah, don't upgrade. They don't yeah, it's assumed that you're summoning a different pack of bloodletters every time you summon bloodletters, not the same ones who you're really good mates with. Yeah. Oh, lads. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so there's a lot of little nuances in here. The stuff for, like tracking in the case of mixed units, so things like guard players and orc players you can mix your mobs with things like mob-up stratagems. So uh, there's lots of fine comb stuff in here to tell you who gains what experience and who does and doesn't gain injuries and stuff if units have been combined mid-game. But they have thought about a lot of it, which I think is the case for a lot of stuff in 9th edition. They've really thought about some of the edge cases. What's really nice is that any time that my games or my opponent have, we've kind of hit that roadblock where it's like, oh, well, this has happened, what do we do? Normally, we find it within a couple of minutes looking through the book or going through the FAQs. I've yet to go away from a game and think, oh, I'll have to look that up just to make sure. 
everything well, normally good. has been asked either in the book or in an FAQ at the game, which is nice. So like say, it's clearly been thought through. Um, and then the next thing you gain experience for is a unit gains one experience for every third enemy unit it has destroyed in total. So your Crusade card has a tally of all the units they are responsible for destroying, and every three units destroyed, you gain one XP. Simple. Done. Um, and then finally, you also have Marked for Greatness, or as I know it from Blood Bowl, MVP. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> yeah, so Marked for Greatness. At the end of a battle, you can select one unit that has a Crusade card that was part of your army list for that battle. That unit gains three experience points. Keep a tally on the unit's Crusade card of how many times it has been marked for greatness. Now, this, unfortunately, I think is the first thing that's open to being quite gamey with, because technically there's nothing stopping you from just picking whichever unit you want to spam upgrades on and giving it automatic free XP. And it has to be said that I think if you're going to play in the spirit of Crusade, then that marked greatness really is there for that sergeant of a squad who was left standing by himself and refused to die despite being shot by four las cannons or that unit that made a 12 inch charge when it was 12 inches away and subsequently overran an objective and completely you know slaughtered one flank of the enemy's forces or just that lehman rust that killed the demon prince on overwatch as it charged in (laughs) because it just blasted it with its battle cannon or something you know those really cinematic moments when you really do just think, wow, that was impressive. Or I can't believe they just did that. Or if you if you yeah. could name a favourite unit or a favourite moment from the game, then that unit should probably be the one getting marked for greatness. Yeah. The ones who get a title like a, a Beast Slayer because this, the Eldar Autark killed the Wolf Lord in close combat, which I'll talk about later. Um, or, yeah, or better still, that Eldar Guardian killed the Wolf Lord in combat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so there's, it's that great cinematic moment in a game where you think, wicked, awesome, they're getting the uh, extra ration of gruel at the end of the game. Well done, then. I mean, it says here, make a note on the Crusade card of how many times a unit has gained the mark for greatness. Yeah. Um, I think you should also make a mark of what it was that they did to earn yeah. the mark for greatness. And then you can really just see the little story developing. You know, if suddenly perhaps you notice that your Space Marine Lieutenant has been responsible for killing four demon princes, just coincidentally, maybe he becomes known yeah. as Demon Bane. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so that's the three core ways of gaining XP, but you can also achieve XP for units with... Um, mission rewards and agendas which is sort of like crusades secondary objectives system um but we'll get to that in a little bit so when it actually comes to building your initial crusade force it does sort of more or less line up with the battle forged system of matched play there's a few small differences but if you're thinking you know, battalions, brigades, command points, that sort of stuff. That all still applies. And you don't have to build detachments for your order of battle. So your full 
pool of available units. But when you come to each individual game, when selecting the units from your order of battle you're going to use, you will organize them into your traditional match play detachments in order yes. to work out your command points that you'll have for that game. Uh, well, keep in mind, command points aren't given out for detachments now. It's based on the size game you play. Well, I'm talking about things like refunding it for the warlord that you're using and so on. You know the oh yes, yeah, so the detachments in that way. Yeah, yeah, because you pay for the detachments with your CP. So if you've got more detachments, you're going to have less, and so on. Yes, yeah. Um, where it differs from sort of the standard Battleforge stuff is in sort of three key ways. First is warlords and warlord traits. So when you create your initial um, order of battle for crusade you will nominate a warlord um or actually do you nominate a warlord on a game by game basis because that's or is it it's you have a warlord? Basis, I believe yeah because it might be that you have say mortarian in your order of battle but you don't bring him to every game so i guess the games that he's not part yeah. of you would still pick the warlord for that game Exactly. From from the unit's president. Okay, yeah. So so that's why you don't have a warlord trait picked for your warlord because you're playing a game. Instead, yeah. you don't have any warlord traits to assign. Um, instead, any character can gain a warlord trait by spending requisition points, which is something we'll talk about in a little bit. So you can have warlords. Uh, sorry, you can have warlord traits, and in any given game you play, you will have a designated warlord. Now, in my example force, I'm starting my order of battle with a character who has a warlord trait, and in most cases, he will be the warlord when I play games. So it kind of works out anyway, but I've had to spend some resources to give him that warlord trait. What is cool, though, is that you can have multiple warlord traits across your order of battle, you just can't have any duplicates, and no one character can have more than one. But you could get to a point where, say, your order of battle had six HQs or characters in it, and all six of them could have six different warlord traits eventually. Yes. Which is very cool. And then that balances out through uh, Crusade points, which again we'll talk about in a bit. Yeah. The second way that the forces differ to a normal battle forged is basically the same principles applying to relics. So you don't get a free relic in a Battleforged army. Instead, you'll spend requisition points to give individual characters a relic, um, and that will be their relic then. So no one else can have it within your order of battle. They can't have any other relics, and they can't um, trade it off or lose it sort of thing, because you know that is the captain who has the Angel's Wing or the Burning Blade, or whatever. Yeah. There's not two. No. Um, so again, you don't actually start with a relic, but you can buy multiples for multiple characters over time. And then the third difference is um, with pre-game strats. So in the case of like orcs, um, I have the option to upgrade any unit of orc boys to be hard boys at the start of the game. I can spend two CP and they get plus one armor save for the game. Great. Any sort of like pre-game 
stratagem upgrades like that, or say like um, Indominus Veterans, first basement interceptors, you can't spend command points from any given game on upgrading those units. Instead, you spend requisition points on them when you buy them for your order of battle, and then that upgrade is permanent. So you can buy the upgrades when you initially add the unit to your army, and then they just are a unit of Indominus Veterans. They will always be a unit of Indominus Veterans, and you don't have to spend the CP for them to be so in future games, which I think is great. Yeah, it's a great kind of way of giving that unit a bit of story so they've joined your crusade from the Indominus Crusade and they're there to help your warlords understand the basis of the combat that they're fighting in um, and it gives you a chance to model them that way and to again give them a really cool name to make them poignant to be these veterans the the potential's like endless if you've got that narrative frame of mind for the game you'll pick this up and run with it yeah like in my case with the orgs I have access to custom jobs so if I want to give, um, you know, one of my Boom Dacker wagons, um, Squig Hide tires, I have to buy it for the unit when I add it to my order of battle, and it will forever have Squig Hide tires. Yeah. Now what that does also mean is that no one else in my order of battle will be able to have Squig Hide tires because it's a unique upgrade. However. Um, if it was like with Space Marines, you could in theory have three, four, five units of Indominus veterans. So long as you've got the resources to make them veterans when you buy them in the first place, you can just have a veteran force. Yeah. Um, yeah, so then, so we've talked about requisition points. And basically, these are kind of like an extra layer of army building currency that you get for Crusade. So if command points are what you spend from game to game, requisition points are what you spend on your Crusade force over time. When you start out, you start your initial Crusade force with five requisition points, which can be spent on a number of things. So first of all, we've mentioned how you can um, purchase a warlord trait or a relic or a special reinforcements, they're called, those unit upgrades for your Indominus Vets or similar. They all respectively cost you one requisition point in order to give a character a warlord trait or a character a relic. Yep. But then that's a permanent upgrade. It's worth noting that in the case of the unit upgrades, um, it's always just one requisition, regardless of how many CP that stratagem would be. So like Indominus Veterans, I believe, is two CP to upgrade the unit, whereas the permanent Crusade upgrade is one requisition point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, additionally, you use a few other things you can spend requisition on. So the first thing is increasing your supply limit. Now, this is something we've not touched on yet, but basically Crusade uses this escalation style system to it, where when you start out, you start with a 50 power level order of battle. 
and you might play games of up to 50 power level. So I know some people might start with 25 power level games. I'm playing to have a 50 power level game with Dan on Sunday as my first game. And for one CP, you can increase your Crusade supply force by five power level. So I, for example, have spent one of my first requisition points to increase my supply limits 55 power level, which means I can play games of up to 55 power level points. Yep, I did exactly the same. Yep. And it was because <laughs> it was because I wanted to add a big mech with a custom force field to the list, and it was going to bring me up to 51 power level. Yeah. So you're going to spend one RP to take you up to five. Yeah. So I was like, all right, well, oh, oh no, no, sorry. It was, no, it was the way around. I was adding something that was going to bring me up to 51. And I was like, right, well, what could I add for four power level if I were to spend the requisition and bring me up to 55 as a limit? And a big mech custom force field was four power level. So I was like, all right, great. If, if I take this list of 51 power level, add in a big mech, I'm at a nice round 55, and I just spend one of my requisition points on increasing my supply limit to 55. Yeah. And this is how so you for... will... Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I, I increased mine to 55 because I had the choice of taking five intercessors of stock pattern bolt rifles. I painted 10. I wanted to take 10 because I painted 10 specifically. So I up my power level, my uh, power level supply to 55. Uh, for one RP, it's going to be something you're probably going to be doing regularly because you want to grow your army and expand it. So that'll be probably one you see a lot of. Yeah, I think it's going to be something that you're almost going to spend like one requisition point on after every game almost because that's how you increase your ability to play larger games. So the 50 power level is the equivalent of about a 1,000 points. So if you want to get up to 2,000 point armies of Crusade, you're needing to add an additional 50 power level. So you're going to have to play probably 10 games to get 10 requisition points to increase your supply limit by an extra 50 power level. Yeah. So that's how your ability to play larger games will increase over time. But the flexibility being that if you're on game seven and you can play up to 1750 points, and someone else wants to play their first game, they're obviously going to be restricted to playing a 1,000 points at most. You can still play a 1,000-point game. And by that point, because your order of battle is larger, you might be playing with a completely different 1,000-point force to what you started your crusade with. Yep, all rocking wicked battle scars and battle honours and enhanced weapons. Uh, yeah, and telling a story on why you're such badasses. Yeah. Um... So yeah, probably one of the most common things you'll spend your requisition on. Um, secondly is the fresh recruits option, which basically lets you increase the size of an existing unit, so long as it's not already got too many upgrades. And you know, it's basically veterans who will accept, you know, green behind the ear newbies into the squad. Um, so if you've got, like you were saying, um, a squad of intercessors that you buy them initially as a squad of five. If you want to increase that unit size later on, a couple of games in, you can spend one requisition to allow them to increase their squad size up to their codex entry equivalent of up to 10. Yeah. I could see some like Chaos Space Marine players starting with squads of 10 Chaos Marines, and a couple of games in, they might make them a squad of 15 and then a squad of 20. Yeah. 
with these fresh recruit upgrades. Um, and then one of the other sort of themes running throughout this is this idea of upgrades being permanent. So not only do your warlords or equivalents get their warlord trait and then that is theirs, no one else can have it, they'll never lose it. Um, the same is true for equipment loadouts on units and for like psychic power choices for psychers. So I think it's interesting yes, that so... like you have to pick what psychic powers your psychers know when you add them to your order of battle, yeah. and that is the powers they know. They don't get to pick or swap or change every game. Like that's those it. Are so their powers. Same with your same with your craft worlds and your forge worlds and your codex uh, changey bits or your court creeds for Dune Cynical, once it's on your order of battle, they are set at the start of your crusade. Uh, but as it says, you can spend one requisition point to rearm and resupply or repair and recuperate, and that will enable you to change like five reavers with bolt carbines to be five reavers with combat blades or heavy bolt pistols. Uh, it's very situational, I think, for that to happen, uh, but it gives you the option to do so, and again, it's, it's good that that's in there as opposed to not being in there so that I think, yeah, I think it could be stuff, for example, if you're a Space Marine player and you've started with some intercessors with heavy bolt rifles, and then later yeah. down the line you're able to add a couple of squads of eliminators, and now you feel like those intercessors, they don't need the sort of like sniper-style bolters because you've got some units of dedicated snipers now. Yeah. Now you could switch, switch out their equipment and give them the auto bolt rifles, and suddenly this unit of more experienced intercessors have got weapon you know, like skills and upgrades and stuff they they're yep. not made they're, they're not sidelined because you're never taking them for sniping anymore because you've got better snipers they can change yeah, up exactly. their role and they can become the close assault units now yeah and it means it mixes up how you play as well and what your crusade army then does uh, it's worth noting as well that if you get a weapon enhancement when they level up, you then can't change their loadout because it's fixed with a weapon enhancement. So worth yes. considering to upgrade the weapons of the guys. That is true. If you've if you've gone to the point where you're like, well, my war boss has this big chopper, and now I've given him these fancy weapon upgrades, I can't swap the big chopper now because it's now his personal big chopper that's customized to him. You know, yeah. it's super special. Yeah. Um, and then the final thing is the um, repair and recuperate um, option, which basically is your way of r removing injuries and battle scars from units that have suffered them. So it's nice that no matter what injuries some units might suffer, they don't have to be permanent. You can choose to put some resources into, you know, repairing the reduced movement of your assault intercessors because they don't want to be you know crawling along they want to be running against stuck in but then it's again it's interesting as well that there's, there's no permadeath in crusade so if you roll a really bad result for your end of game battle scars uh post game for your units there's no way that they're going to be completely killed and taken off your roster which takes away a bit of peril but at the same time it it's a lot easier to balance that way than have someone order a battle. Like if you play Blood Bowl and you've had three players injured or dead, what do you do? That'd be very hard yeah. to manage in a 40k crusade, I think. So I get why it's not in there. Same with uh, like Necromunda. It can be like the death of a leader or a champion in Necromunda can very much define the immediate future for your gang. You know, it's a very you know unifying experience where you know 
it's adding to the, that story of how you're now the underdogs or you're having to come back from that ambush that the other gang pulled yeah. off and you know managed to assassinate your leader and now you're out for vengeance. It's a little different if your Terminator squad is now having to um, uh, foot slog it across the battlefield because their land raider was destroyed. Yes. <laughs> you know, that doesn't feel as, like, I don't know, just as, it doesn't feel like great storytelling, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, again, it's it's probably purely in there just for balancing purposes or, dare I say, lack of ability to balance. Yeah. Um, but, again, I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, but we'll get to the specifics of Battle Scars shortly because... Um, that's sort of everything that you need to think about when it comes to actually creating your initial crusade force. Um, the other thing that's worth mentioning is that um, whilst you get five requisition points when you initially create your order of battle, you can never have more than five. And so it's not worth hoarding them. Like you do get them for playing and winning some missions um, and other various ways of earning requisition. But like they really are there to be spent, you know. Yeah. Um, I've spent four out of five of my initial ones, and I've got that fifth one there just so I can sort of decide what I feel like doing with it in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I think I spent three out of five of mine initially. Uh, supply limit, warlord trait, and relic. Yeah, I think I went um, supply limit, warlord trait, and two custom jobs. Nice. Because. <laughs> um, I could, I could just burn through all my requisition on like pre-game strats if I wanted the orcs, because between yeah, like go for a really elite-based orc army, which sounds amazing. Well, when I've got options like cleverest boss, warped for the weird boys, custom jobs for practically every vehicle going, you know, like there's tons of pre-game strats I could just burn through. So I'm gonna have to take them one at a time and um, not get too overexcited with them. Um, however, what is worth getting excited about is the battle honors that you earn. So when you play games, your units will gain experience, as we've sort of mentioned before. When they get enough experience, they will effectively level up. Um, so you've got things at like at five experience, at 15, at 30, and so on. And I think there's what, one, two, three, four... There's potentially four sort of like levels of upgrades you can get, but that's going to take you a long crusade to get to that sort of tier with stuff. Yeah, I mean, bloody do you get for turning up and playing one game with a unit, then it's six for Battle Hardened, then it's 15 for Heroic, and then I think like I said it's 30 for Legendary. Uh, I'll be overjoyed if I get to 30 games with this Spaceful Crusade, because that will show to me that the system's playing really, really well, the army's doing great, and it's making me play, you know, Silly amounts 40k, which is what I want. Yeah, which is all we want. <laughs> um, so yeah, so as units level up, there's basically a couple of options and tables of uh, bonuses that you can get. And to be honest, I've sort of read through them all, and they're all really good. Um, I don't think there's anything that naturally stands out as being the best or the worst. Now, obviously... Yeah. You know, there are some abilities and upgrades that would be better for certain units based on how dedicated a role it has. Like, you know, getting plus one ballistic skill or whatever for Corn Berserkers is not going to be as good as it would be for Dire Avengers. 
yep. you know, <laughs> but there's a level of sort of control to it. So um, there are four types of battle honors, um, which are battle traits, weapon enhancements, psychic fortitudes, and crusade relics. Now, each time a unit gains battle honor, um, where's the description here? Yeah, units gain one battle honor each, each time, time they gain a round. You must increase its crusade points total by one. If the unit has power rating yeah, of 10 we'll... or less, or two if the unit has power rating of 11 or higher. Yeah, which we'll get to crusade points in a minute. Um, so uh, sometimes unit can gain additional battle honor by other means. There are several types of battle honors that can be bestowed upon a unit. Battle traits, fortitude, weapon enhancements, and relics. Each time a unit gains a battle honor, it can select from one of those categories. A unit can never have more than six battle honors. Make a note of the unit's battle honor unit on its crusade sheet. So you get to pick what category of upgrade you want. Now, the first one is battle traits, which these are the ones that are sort of like either stats or special rule bonuses. And there's four tables of results, which basically dictate based on what kind of unit it is. So if it is a non-vehicle or monster character unit, if it's a monster unit, a vehicle unit, or any other unit, which basically covers the majority of infantry-based units. Yep. And again, we've mentioned being able to be a little gamey with it. As with a lot of random tables in 8th edition, it specifies that if you want, you can just pick your option or you can roll on it. Now, personally, I think the best thing to do would be to roll on it because I think that will create the variance across your force. It will make them feel more per, like personal per unit and it stops groups yep. from probably descending into too much power gaming in what is essentially a narrative gaming system. Because, you know... Um, for example, if you've got a Carnifix um, that's all orientated around combat, you're probably going to pick Unstoppable, where you get to add two to its movement characteristic and add one to advance and charge rolls. Yeah. Um, or um, the similar thing, Fleet of Foot for infantry. So if you've got deep striking um, Blood Angel Sanguinary Guard, you're probably going to want to go for plus one to advance and charge for, for when they're coming from deep strike. Yeah. That's pretty powerful. It but is. Then, um, that's not to be then, said that, you know, like headhunters wouldn't be a bad option for the sanguinary guard, where you add yeah. one to hit rolls and wound rolls made when resolving attacks with models in this unit that target an enemy character. So Yeah, I I rolled for I think I rolled for all of mine apart from one. Um the last time I rolled for one was for my Femrisine Wolves and they got cool headed. So my Fenrisian Wolves can re-roll failed morale tests taken for this unit. In addition, if a unit declares this unit as the target of their charge, this unit can fire Overwatch and will score on fives instead of sixes. Which for Fenrisian Wolves... <laughs> Doesn't mean pretty, much. Pretty but spectacular. It's... So that's where I was like, hmm. But again, it's, it's as gamey as you want to make it. Hopefully you're playing to the spirit of the game. Um, I think it would be hard to make it game-breakingly bad. Um... I mean, a unit of veteran intercessors with ballistic skill two plus rerun and ones because of veteran warriors or uh, yeah, veteran warriors. That'd be pretty good. I mean, but, uh, again, these reflect in your crusade points and how it balances in your games. And I think there's a fair point to be made for 
trying to roll for it randomly where possible. But if something comes up that is, like you say, just clearly bad or useless on a certain unit, I'm sure probably you and your opponent would be fine for you to re-roll it. So if, for example, you'd rolled up an ability for your Fenrisian Wolves where all it did was let them overwatch from 5+, plus when they don't yeah. have any ranged attacks, <laughs> it'd be like, I'd be fine oh, with you re-rolling that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, like, I don't see any problem with that. That just makes sense. Um, so, yeah, but there's a couple of interesting stuff in here. Like, so for units, you've got things like increases to movement, better in warriors, just lets them re-roll ones when making attacks. Um, things like cool-headed is brilliant because it gives them the ability to um, hit on fives of Overwatch, which makes them a key unit then for when you feel like using that overwatch stratagem yeah um but then some of the character ones are really cool just stuff like um i absolutely love inspiring hero this is one of the ones i would really love to get on um, my war boss the um add one to the leadership characteristic of friendly units while living six inches of a character model from this unit but in addition this unit can perform heroic interventions if after the enemy has made all their charge moves it is within six inches of enemy units and can move up to six inch when doing so. Like six inch horizon is brilliant. But the because I was reading that, I thought, oh, I've not seen that one yet. That's because my space was already get it. Yes. That is very much a so. For example, it's yeah. If if you're a space character getting that, you might consider you know rerolling it as it were. Yeah, but the plus one each is still pretty good. And again, he he they will be an inspiring hero by that point. If um if fate's really with you, the these if you do choose to roll for it, which you know is a good idea. Uh, I got battle tested on my squad of reavers, so battle tested was the unit has the objective secured ability. I can make attacks with ranged weapons while performing an action without the action failing, which is enormous in Crusade because a lot of the missions are action based. Uh, as well as combat attrition tests taken with this unit automatically passed. So the reavers being these stealthy commando bolt pistols and knife guys jumping behind enemy lines, getting objective secured. Um, and then being able to stand their ground and not worry about combat attrition, that's huge in the narrative, and it's also hugely brilliant for them. It's really, really made them a big threat in the game. Yeah, I love the idea of that for a big mob of orc shooter boys, yeah. because I love the idea that whilst they're busy raising the banners or investigating the site, they would still just be randomly pulling the trigger and blazing away at any enemies that were yeah. nearby. And then the fact that they automatically pass combat attrition means that they're basically immune to morale. I'm going to yeah. lose, like, one orc boy at most, which, you know, not having to worry about morale is huge for a big mob of orc boys. Yes, it is. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's lots of cool stuff, and none of it is hugely, like, game-breaking. None of it jumps out to me as being like, oh, my God, this would be so broken on this or that. And... I mean, in the case of the character unit stuff, you could maybe, if you wanted, look at expanding it out into some of the custom character creation stuff from chapter approved. So maybe yeah. rather than rolling on this table, this D6 table, maybe you can roll on the like D66 table of abilities from the character creator. You know, you still yeah, just... apply the battle honor system and the crusade point system, but Maybe if you're doing stuff in like a closed um, loop, 
campaign, anyway, using the narrative um, crusade system, maybe all your players could do that. Yeah, because we, we, I mean, most of us, especially I think people listen to this podcast, will have these resources and these chapter approved and these campaign books. And there's no reason to you to look at this this little gubbin from the page and think, oh, how great would that be in Crusade? Ping a group message to your boys, who, boys and girls who you play Crusade with and, you know, talk about it, get it in there. And if it works, amazing, tell us about it. Because, again, this it's a game you want to play. And if you want to add bits and take bits away, just do it. Yeah. And, um, and then that said, I... I feel that these battle honor systems, this is a much better and more evolved version of the unit upgrades that were previously provided in chapter approved. Alongside the character creator, there was a system for gaining experience and developing units over time. But I think, I think it was very cutty cooker. Uh, Sorry, no, cutty cooker. Cookie cutter. Yeah. I I think it was very sort of Yeah, very sort of generic upgrades and very sort of non characterful. It was just kind of like you get a bit better. You can move a bit faster. You can do a reroll. You know (laughs) it it wasn't really anywhere near as interesting as some of these options. Because I mean I think it's really interesting that the second selection, the weapon enhancements when you look at this table of options, it initially reads very much as a, oh, this is intended for characters. It'll make, it's kind of like a build your own relic. You know, yeah. I, I have a power fist, but my power fist has, um, uh, it's an heirloom weapon. So when resolving an attack with this weapon, each unmodified hit roll of a six scores an additional hit on the target. You know, stuff like that. But the really interesting thing with these is you can apply them to units. It's just that only the sergeant gets the enhanced version of the weapon. Yeah, but which makes I think, sense. but that's really cool when you consider you've got units like eliminators or even aggressors. Um, in the case of orcs, like a, a big chopper, you know, can be a fun weapon to apply it to, or um, uh, spanners for like looters and burner boys. So you could have a custom mega blaster that has a weapon enhancement. I mean, I have to say, I think one of the orkiest things I can do, I would really like to do this, is with the um, with the custom, no, sorry, the Wasbomb Blaster Jet comes with a pair of custom mega cannons. But as the weapon systems work, if you get a weapon enhancement, you only apply it to one weapon carried by the model. So yep. if I took a weapon enhancement for it, and I chose um, a Mega Cannon, he'd only upgrade one of them with one unique ability. But then on his second upgrade, if I chose his other Mega Cannon (laughs) to have another randomly generated ability, I could end up with a very orky mech boy thing of having two weapons that are essentially the same weapon system that can do very different things because they've just been upgraded in different ways. Yep, just told up to snot. Yeah, like I could end up with a um, one mega cannon that adds, uh, uh, what was it, when resolving an attack with this weapon, add one to the hit roll. So suddenly you could actually have one that's hitting on fours, or his other yeah. one um, could be masterworked, so it gets plus onto its damage characteristics. So suddenly he's got one weapon that doesn't hit as well, but when it hits, it does like D3 plus one damage. Yeah, which is, like I say, it adds that 
extra depth and that extra bit of you know spice to the characters that you play with. Yeah, and the opportunities for modeling it is amazing as well. Yeah, um, so I think there's some really fun stuff you could do with those. Um, I especially like the idea of the auto loader um, for orcs, just because it's funny. Uh, so if it's a ranged weapon, when resolving an attack with this weapon. Each unmodified hit roll of a six scores one additional hit on the target. But in addition to Daka Daka, that means that any sixes I roll score an additional hit and provide an additional shot. Which yep. that additional shot, if that comes up a six, would provide an additional hit. <laughs> Daka, four days. It'd just be like bullets, 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 bullets. <laughs> that would be incredibly fun to put on like the. Um, custom super shooter on a Gorkonaut and just have it putting out like ah, 18 shots to generating extras on sixes and fives and then on sixes of double hits and yeah just an ungodly amount of dice being thrown at you yeah um and then you've got psychic fortitude which are basically a little table of no more powers deny more powers or cast more powers basically just be a better psyker per upgrade <laughs> Which is nice, because again, it'd be funny to have an orc um, weird boy that can cast three powers a turn because he's a warped with psychic fortitude. Yeah. Have you taken a psycho in your crusade? I haven't taken a psychic one yet because I would want to spend some relic and um, stratagem upgrades on him, so I'd have to invest two requisition points to get the weird boy that I would want. Yeah. So I'm going to wait until... Yeah, exactly. I'm going to wait until I have um, those requisition points, and then I will add Staz Skull to the, uh, the force. Brilliant. Um, and then the last um, option for these upgrades is the Crusade Relics, which there's a couple of tiers of these, so you have to be a higher-level Crusade character before you have access to the legendary relics. They include things like Vortex Grenades. Yeah, some of them are really, really good. Yeah, I mean, you can see the sliding scale as you... You know, like characters develop because your early level crusade relics are things like artificer weapon which is um you pick one of their weapons and when they roll a six to hit they inflict a mortal wound in addition to normal damage or they can have mastercrafted armor which just improves their arm save by a plus one which even in the example here it says a two plus save would become a one plus save yeah which obviously we know rolling a one still fails but it means that your armor is that much better against ap Exactly. Yeah, so the Crusade relics are a little different in that they can only be given to character models. You can't, you know, give Artificer armor to your squad of Terminators. Um, but like regular relics, they're unique, you can't have multiples across your order of battle. Um, and there are some sort of like missions that reward. Um, certain crusade relics as a, a thing that you earn for winning that battle. Um, I believe you are allowed to have multiple crusade relics on a single individual. I think you can have any number of crusade relics in addition to a like a single standard relic. Yeah, a conventional relic. Yeah. So you could have someone who goes around... Um, being a real antiquities collector 
yeah. I, could, I could imagine this fitting perfectly for um, Trezan the Infinite. Yeah. If, if only he was allowed them, but he's not because he's a, a named character. Maybe maybe your Necron Lord is actually someone who's working for Trezan and he's trying to collect as many unique artifacts from around the universe as possible to take back to him. Yeah, he's just he's just on a Necron bargain hunt. <laughs> um and I can imagine that all of these sort of categories of upgrades, but in particular Crusade Relics, I think will be something that gets explored on a faction basis in the future with um codexes. Because yeah. I imagine there will be a selection of Space Marine Crusade relics that are, you know, really cool and unique Space Marine players. The same there will be for Eldar players and Tau and Chaos and all the rest of it. Like, I can imagine Chaos getting a whole selection of, like, demon weapons for Crusade relics. Yeah. Which I think would be really I cool. I think the, the Crusade relics will play out more to the um, the Warzone expansions for Crusade. So, like, prior, prior Nexus, you'll find some ancient Necron Archaeotech that your Warlord can tool himself out with because then it's kind of it's more generic and more narrative for the crusade and where it is yes very true yeah so obviously all this leveling up and upgrading comes from gaining experience and we've mentioned before you get experience for playing games killing units and forgetting your um, marked for greatness the other way that you get experience for units is through completing agendas which are basically your secondary objectives in Crusade missions. So there'll be the primary objective that is for winning victory points to win that battle. But in addition to that, depending on the size and scale of game you're playing, you'll select one or multiple agendas for your own force or some units within your force to be trying to achieve. And the rewards for that is experience for those units. So I think it's quite fun that these, they don't actually impact the outcome of the game, obviously the impact the progression of your force yeah it also gives you a really good opportunity to play to your army strengths or to their narrative so things like search for archaeo tech for a uh, tech priest manipulus who needs to get to the enemy deployment zone and route through their stash to find the archaeo tech that's a it's some really interesting game i was looking at um priority target for my orcs because it's about killing enemy vehicles or monsters well i'm death skulls i want to loot those vehicles so I want to destroy enemy vehicles. Uh, Kingslayer is one I use a lot because it's uh, basically you get a load of experience for killing the enemy warlord, but that ties into the crusade goal for my army. But uh, more on that silly adventure in a bit. Yeah. So yeah, so like with your standard match player stuff, um, there's a like couple of categories of agendas. So you've got you know, purge the enemy, battlefield supremacy, warpcraft, that sort of stuff. And um they tend to involve either tracking tallies sort of like across your army or tracking tallies on an individual unit basis depending on what it is so for example the reaper agenda uh, the unit in your army that has the highest combat tally of enemy units destroyed during the battle earns two experience points if two or more units are tied choose which unit achieves this agenda. So technically you're taking a tally for that one of your entire army, but ultimately one unit gets the reward. Yeah. That's a really nice, easy generic one to do if you uh, want to get some XP on something that's doing quite well, or if you just can't decide on what agenda you want to do. It's just fairly easy to kill some stuff. Yeah. Whereas, like assassins, uh, keep an assassin's tally for each unit for your army. Add one to a unit's assassin's tally each time it destroys an enemy character unit. 
each unit gains two experience points for every mark on its assassin's tally. So that one is everyone can gain two XP for every character that they kill. And I could see someone like um, like Drukari using that, because how cool is that? That just sounds like they're raiding and taking captives. They're taking those, yep. you know, high value slaves. Yep. Um, Take the VIPs back to Kamara and don't tell them what's going to happen. Or you can have ones uh, sort of specific to a unit of your choice. So, for example, Survivor, at the start of your first combat phase, uh, sorry, combat phase, start of your first command phase, even, select one unit from your army. That unit gains two experience points after the battle if it is not destroyed at the end of the battle, and an additional two experience points if it is not below half strength. Units or a single model do it based on their number of wounds instead. So, in that case, if I pick my battle wagon, the only thing I have to keep alive to gain some experience is my battle wagon. But at the same time, my battle wagon is the only unit that's potentially going to be getting experience from that. Yeah, so you can kind of, like, if it's a battle wagon that's going to stay at the back of the board and shoot stuff, amazing. Uh, but not many battle wagons do that, so... No, mine gets up in your face and shoots stuff. Yep. Exactly. It bolts up the board and vomits orcs. Um, or you've got, like, um, I think there was one called Sentinels or something. Well, yeah, Sentinel. At the start of your first command phase, select one objective marker that is on the battlefield and one unit from your army. That unit gains four experience points after the battle if, at the end of the battle, it is within range of that objective marker and you control that objective marker. So basically, that one unit is designated with a target that it has to control at the end of the battle. Yeah. Which is cool, because the funny thing with that is, oh, sorry, the other thing that's worth noting about all this is your agendas are noted down in secret at the start of the battle. So your opponent doesn't know what it is that you're tracking for your agendas, which is why it might seem strange to them that, you know, that unit of um, intercessors is refusing to leave that objective marker, despite the fact that it has no bearing on the victory conditions of that mission at that given time. Yeah. So I think that's cool as well, that you're both sort of playing your own little games because, you know, they're your agendas, not your opponents. Like, the enemy general doesn't care whether or not you're trying to secure some archaeotech. If that enemy general is a tyrannid, I think agendas. I think you reveal them to each other at the start of the game. You decide a secret, but then you reveal them at the same time. Oh, uh, is that what it is? Let's have a look. Let's, let's get it. Where did I read that? Because I went through it with my opponent. Once players have selected their agendas, they reveal their selections to their opponent. Ah, uh, okay. So you make a note of them secretly, and then you reveal as you go the game. The game yeah. Fair enough, but still. You know, making those choices in advance, um, I guess, like, for example, if, you, if you've if you chosen assassins, then your opponent doesn't know that until they've set up. So their characters yeah. might be in some exposed positions that they might have attempted to hide them in if they knew your agenda was to assassinate. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So there's definitely a level of play there to it, which is interesting. And then, finally, when it comes to sort of progression is the battle scars so the flip side of experience when your units get beaten up that badly that they are left injured because of it so it, it taketh away 
Although we have said there is no permanent F system in this, so it is all um, it is all repairable eventually. And it, to be honest, I like the system they're using for it because it's not too frequent, but you'll feel like you do you do feel it when you have some units with some injuries. So uh, first up is the out of action checks. So after a battle, before you've determined the total number of experience points for each unit, you must first take an out of action test for each unit in your army that has a crusade card that was destroyed in that battle. You do not have to test for a unit that was destroyed but subsequently returned to the battlefield during the battle. Only if, uh, I don't know, like Necrons maybe or some equivalent. Um, to take an out of action test, roll 1d6 for that unit. On a 2 plus, the test is passed. Nothing happens. On a 1, the test is failed. You must now choose one of the following options. One, a devastating blow, which basically means that the unit gains no experience for this battle if it was about to gain any. And in fact, it loses d6 experience points to a minimum of zero. Um, so you basically, you're, you're losing that progress on trying to improve the unit. Notably, though, you don't lose any abilities you've gained if losing that XP would drop you down a bracket. It's just that when they yeah. work their way back up, they obviously don't gain another new skill for having got back to where they were. <laughs> Yeah, it's some. It's this is the one you take especially early on. So if it, in your first game and at the end you roll a couple of ones for a couple of units, just bail on the XP for that game because you don't have any XP to lose otherwise. Yeah. Whereas if you've got a unit that's got a lot of XP or is close to leveling up and you really don't want to take that hit, your other option is yep. to take a battle scar, which is basically the equivalent of um, a battle honor but in reverse. <laughs> So again, based on whether or not it's a monster vehicle, infantry, or non-vehicle monster character, you roll on a random table and you get a deliberating injury or special rule until such time as you have repaired it with a requisition point. So uh, give us some examples, Chris. Uh, so my uh, Redemption Dreadnought, Vigor Hellrain. Lord of War himself, he's an absolute lad. Bless him, his flame is only strength three, because he took a knock on it. Uh, <laughs> likewise, there was a great battle against, who was it against? Death Guard? Death Guard, where my Wolf Lord uh, scored a battle honor and got plus one wound for his heroism. Uh, but my opponent rolled a battle scar and was minus one toughness, which for a Death Guard Lord of Contagion is enormous. <laughs> And kind of embarrassing. Nobody. Nobody. A measly toughness for. Exactly. It's like a space marine. What's the point? <laughs> but then it wouldn't be too much to spend one requisition point uh, later date to heal him and you know, get his toughness back. Um, exactly. But I think Which there's some fun stuff like. Bank of one or two RP. Yeah, and there's some there's some uh, fun stuff like. Um, uh, target is cracked for a vehicle, so you must reroll hit rolls of a six when resolving attacks made by a vehicle more than this unit. Oh, crap, that got... was given to my. That's that was my Redemptor last night uh, after a game against right. another Death Guard player. Uh, so he has to reroll sixes to hit now, which is devastating. You've got things like uh, disgraced. Um, your unit cannot use any stratagem. You cannot use any stratagems to affect this unit nor can use command reroll stratagem to affect any dice made for it. 
Um, Which I'm not going to lie, when you're, when you're already disgraced and you can't re-roll that, that 2 plus yeah. hit with the, and you roll a 1, it's just going to be even more disgraced. Stay on the bus, mate. And then there's stuff like the character's loss of reputation. Like, that's a, such a cool idea, but also pretty crippling, where it's like, if this unit has any aura abilities on its data sheet, the range of those aura abilities is reduced by 3 inches. If this reduces the range of an aura ability to 0 or less... The unit loses that aura ability while it has this battle scar. And if this unit has no aura abilities on its data sheet, then it is unaffected by the aura abilities of friendly units. So basically, Jinkies. because you've lost reputation, no one listens to you, no one pays you any attention, and no one's going to follow your orders or bother giving you any orders. Yep, yeah, which sounds like for Night Lords and Iron Warriors who resent each other, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah like uh, there's some cool stuff and it's surprising how just having one battle scar but say two battle honors will really change the dynamic of how you play with that unit of space marines or that unit of orc boys and especially if they're trying to achieve a certain agenda or they're trying to complete whatever you know fun twist there is in the mission you're playing like and that's just like, that's just how you create a Crusade Force, how you play games of it, and how you track its progression. And then the last sort of thing to touch on is the built-in balancing mechanic. So we've mentioned already how just because you might have a large order of battle doesn't mean you're going to bring all of it to a game. So you might play a 1,000 points of your 2,000-point army against someone else's 1,000-point force. That's fine. But yep. what if you've got lots of experienced units with lots of these special upgrades and they don't have any? Well, that's where you track Crusade points. So as well as Command points and Requisition points and Experience points, you've now got Crusade points. So yes, we've mentioned it before, and as you can tell from this last hour of prattling, there's a lot of bookkeeping in this, but it really is worth it. Yeah, it pays off enormously. Yeah. So Crusade points, this is basically sort of like the narrative power level of the unit. So you might have two units that are identical as a data sheet, but because one's got two upgrades, it's got more crusade points. Um, and it sort of explains how many things are worth how many crusade points, but generally a battle honor is worth a crusade point. Um, a battle scar yeah. reduces your crusade points by one for that unit. And then when you rock up to play a game with someone else, you can work out how many crusade points your two forces at the table have. And that will give you a rough estimate of the power imbalance between those two forces present. And basically, if, say, I bring a force of 20 crusade points and you bring a force of 10 crusade points, then that means there is a difference of 10 crusade points between our forces. And thus, you get half of that amount in bonus command points for that game. So in this instance, you would get five bonus command points. Which And that I makes an enormous difference when it does. when you rock up to a, a 50 power level game or no, a 25 power level game and you've, you've got three command points and they've got eight because of the amount of crusade points you've got. It lets you do some really freaky stuff with some stratagems. I think it is a really clever and neat system to 
balance an experienced crusader force against a less experienced crusader force without going so deep as to really take it point for point and assign like point values to individual upgrades and weapon enhancements like it feels like it, it feels like the other side of power level is basically like right i have this power level force representing physically like how much i'm bringing to the game in sense of vehicles units weapons resources and then i have a crusade value which represents the experience of those said units so without having to go into buying new point balancing you can just say i have a 50 power level force with five crusade points you have a 50 power level force from your potential 75 and of those 50 they have 10 crusade points so now we know that you know i'm going to get a couple of extra command points to make up for it and then realistically when you play the game those forces are not that imbalanced and actually it should play out quite neatly yeah Um, yeah there's again i've played a lot of crusade and there's yet to be a moment where i've gone up against uh, an enemy force with upgrades and battle honors where I thought, oh my god, that's ridiculous, what can I do about it? It's normally like, yeah. oh, they can reel ones willingly, or they get a six-up drug. It's all very manageable, but it reflects their experience and their like commitments to the battle really, really well. Yeah. So we are we're now what let's have a look. Yeah, we're now closing in on two hours <laughs> into the episode and we've only really just been able to get through the rundown of what crusade is so we're definitely in next episode we're going to get into some of our experiences with crusade we're going to look at some of the missions we're going to look at just basically more crusade because there is a lot to really dive into here um but while he's with us today yeah um but while he is with us today Chris is going to go through some of his experiences quickly with the games of Crusade that he has played so far. So go on, Chris. Now we know how to play Crusade. Tell us about how you have played Crusade. So my Crusade Force, uh, I chose to do Space Wolves. This was a decision made early on when Crusade was first announced. I was getting a stock collecting box for my birthday in July, and it just seemed like the stars aligned for this one. Uh, I wanted to tell the story of a wolf lord leading his company of space wolves through the Imperial Nihilus to bring glory to the Fang in the Halls of Rus. So my crusade force is led by Primaris wolf lord Einar Ebenmore. He's a Primaris wolf lord sent with his army to the Dark Imperium by Krom Dragongaze, who's his wolf lord. His mission is to... uh, been dispatched to the Sycadrix Maledictum to prove their worth to Wolflord Crumb. Einar Ebermore must slay five enemy warlords in battle and bring their skulls back to the Fang, and his own company must cut more than 200 threads of enemies to prove their saga worthy of the Halls of the Fang. So, primary Space Marines aren't very trusted by the Space Wolves. They're not really, they've not been welcomed in due to their kind of outsider motifs and their kind of being forced upon them by Rebute Gulliman. So this is a chance for the Primaris Wolf Lord to take his Primaris army to the Dark Imperium, gain their trust, gain some experience, and bring back some trophies for the Halls of Rus. Nice. Now, uh, trying to get my Wolf Lord to kill five enemy Warlords 
after seven games. I won't tell you the result. We'll save that for next time. It's been mm-hmm. challenging. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but he is in a really good position at the minute. So he's got... Uh, my Crusade Force started out by spending three X, three of my requisition points. One to take my supply limit up to 55, which I mentioned earlier. One to give my Wolf Lord a Relic Blade, which is the Companion's Blade, which is, he was gifted by Beyond the Fellhanded in order to complete his task. And I gave him the Warlord, Warlord trait of Saga of the Wolfkin, so he gets an additional attack in close combat. Nice. So... Their first game was against... What was it against? Orcs? Yeah, it was against my brother's Orcs. Uh, and he brought a Gorkonaut with a big mech with invuln save. <laughs> now, there was great premise for I Know Ebermore. The wolves managed to kill almost all the Orcs. There was just the Gorkonaut and the big mech left. Uh, I Know Ebermore charged the Gorkonaut, leapt up in the air, brought his companion's blade down into the main chassis of the Gorkonaut and took 16 out of 18 wounds off the Gorkonaut and very nearly killed it. <laughs> wow. He, he was then very quickly dispatched by the Gorkonaut, to my dismay. Uh, he's always gone for the Warlord. He's always raised his blade high, but normally he just falls short. Uh, so his crusade is joined by Lothar Orkbane, who's a Primaris battle leader, who's like a lieutenant version of Space Wolves. His job is to join the Wolf Lord in battle as his equerry and help him slay foes. Then I've got some intercessors with Stalker Bat and Bolters, 10 Reavers, 5 with Combat Blades, 5 with Bolt Carbines, some Aggressors with Flamestorm Gauntlets, some Penrisian Wolves with a Cyber Wolf, a Primaris Impulsor, and a Primaris Redemptor Dreadnought. The first few games were amazing when I got to grips with the Crusade system, uh, and it seems to have done the job because a lot of people who've seen my army's progress, I've been doing like little narrative battle reports on how the battles have gone. I've done narrative onto the units that have joined the Crusade and how they've got there and why they're fighting with my uh, Void Stalkers Space Wolf detachment. It seems to have really got the spirit of Crusade going within my gaming community, and everyone's taking part and having an amazing time. Uh, and it's proved to be. A really nice, new, refreshing way for a lot of people to play 40k. Uh, So the first game, I lost on victory points, I believe. Uh, And again, wasn't able to achieve my campaign goal of killing enemy warlords with my warlord. But it's not all been doom and gloom. Uh, I'll cover some more of the battles that they fought later. I'll also go through the additions and some of the key points of the narrative for the Crusade. uh, So you can find out how their campaign has gone in the Dark Imperium. Yeah, uh, check back next time. <laughs> yes, we'll definitely do that because I think what will be nice is that hopefully we'll be able to have a, a sort of more regular segment on the show where we do check in with like the latest developments in our Crusade forces and so we'll see what they've been up yeah. to and see how they're progressing over time. Um, so yeah, so like, how have you been finding Crusade then as a play experience? So initially, a lot of people had an issue with the book and how it was laid out and how Crusade is kind of portrayed in its order in the book, which I got initially. So once you've got your order of battle sorted and you're ready to play some games of Crusade, the best thing you can do is you and your opponent go through at the same time. What page was it? Uh, The Crusade mission pack on 332 in the core book. Once you've gone through this a couple of times and you've both read through it together... Crusade will come second nature to you. By my third game, uh, I barely needed to look at this. 
So this will tell you how to set up your pre-game. It'll tell you how to set the game up in terms of terrain, the mission briefing, who's attacking, who's defending, deploying, uh, how to declare what's in what's in the game and what isn't in the game. Uh, goes through the mission, so follow your mission objective and then your post-game. So it tells you about updating your crusade card, taking your out-of-action tests, uh, updating your experience points, spend, uh, gaining and spending your requisition points. So once you've got that down, uh, after a couple of games, I guarantee you'll fly through Crusade no problem. And that's when it really starts to become fun because you're worrying less about how to play Crusade and then you're focusing on how you want to play your Crusade and what you want your army to do and what you want to add to it and spend your acquisition points on. So, yeah, and then it's just playing people uh, of a like-minded virtue. But again, if you want to play against a match play player for your Crusade game, go mad. There's nothing stopping you from doing that. Excellent. So it sounds like you've been like, having a really good like time with Crusade. And I know I'm looking forward to really diving into it myself. Yeah, it's my it's the exclusive way I play 40k now. Uh, I've played seven games of Crusade with my Space Wolves. I played one with my Gene Court, and I've got another one with my Gene Court tomorrow morning. So yeah, I've I've got multiple Crusades on the go. I'm a Crusade nut. <laughs> Yeah, I'd admit, I can imagine that if you've if you've got the time to play lots of games of 40k, then maybe having multiple Crusades on the go is going to be a way of keeping that experience fresh and maybe yeah. incentivizing taking out an army of, that you wouldn't typically bother getting off the shelf. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the more you do it, the better it gets. Uh, you'll find you'll probably find yourself looking at new armies and thinking how you could start a crusade force or like start collecting box or something like that being great. Obviously, at the minute we're probably going to see a lot of Space Marine and Necron Crusades because they're quite <laughs> the hotness at the minute. Uh, but the best thing you can do is just play your games and you'll get a feel for it. And by the time you're halfway through, you know, what, however long you want your crusade to be, you'll have this really awesome narrative army full of veterans and experience, and hopefully not too many battle scars and injuries. Awesome. So yeah, that guys is basically the gist of the mechanics of Crusade. Um, and I say, well, I think we'll take a closer look at some of the missions next time. Um, I know we'll have, um, hopefully, we'll have both Dan's on maybe on the next episode, and they've both got stories they want to tell us about from their Crusades. So there's going to be more Crusade coming on <laughs> future shows. Um, Definitely. I'm excited to hear what uh, what everybody else, what the listeners are doing with Crusade as well, because the experience is only going to get better the longer we play it and when more stuff comes out. It's uh, hopefully got a lot of long legs on it. Yeah. Um, so then, just to round out the show today, we're going to jump across to our community spotlight. So we'll be back in just a second, guys. And we're back, guys, for just the very last little part of the show on the way out the door. But um, still one of my favourite parts, and that is our community spotlight, where we like to take the time to talk about some of the other things going on out there in the community, be it other content creators or um, like hobbyists to follow on uh, social media or plenty of things. And 
And today we've actually got one that was put forward to me um, from the Facebook group and um, I've been very impressed by it so I wanted to talk about it. And that is the Tabletop Campaign Repository or the TC Repo Project by Mr. Sean Bigley. So Sean's actually been one of the sort of active members in our community group where he's been collecting together a whole host of different sort of like community developed narrative play content and resources and not just for Warhammer 5000, but, you know, for Age of Sigmar and Horus Heresy and then other non-Games Workshop product lines as well. But it really is a, a sort of big like project that he's really taken on and he's been doing some excellent work with it. So um, I'm just going to give you some of the cliff notes about it and uh, you should check it out because you can... Um, you can go see it um, over on his website and you can go see some of the stuff that's been posted in our Facebook group. But this is the... absolute treasure trove. Go and check it out, guys. It's literally amazing. Yeah, so this is the Tabletop Campaign Repository or the TC Repo Project. Narrative campaign content and alternative rules for miniature war games. It's 100% free, no ads, all community resource, all authors are credited and linked and Sean says he was inspired to create it after seeing some of the amazing narrative content locked away in private Facebook groups and is focused on hosting campaigns, scenarios, event packs, and resources to support narrative tabletop miniature wargaming. These include resources such as custom objectives, army tracking worksheets, custom terrain rules, maps, icon packs, award templates, and plenty more. Right now, the repository is mostly... Warhammer 40k and Age of Sigma content, but there are also resources for Warhammer Fantasy Battle, Kill Team, Necromunda, and the Horus Heresy. Sean plans to eventually expand into non-Games Workshop products such as the Ninth Age, Infinity, and plenty more. And finally, the project is entirely powered by the community, and Sean is always on the lookout for more content submissions for users. So if you have any ideas or resources you would like to contribute, don't hesitate to head over to tcrepo.com and get in touch and like i say yeah you've had a look at it haven't you chris yeah i was on a look at the uh horror heresy bits which i'm very big on at the minute uh it like i said it's free there's no ads it's worth it for a butcher's uh let your mates know about it and try something new play something that's uh maybe from a bygone age yeah it really is this sort of like online resource for lots of community powered content and very much like a lot of the stuff we talk about on this show, there's some really good stuff out there. So if you're either looking to pick up something new or try a, like a homebrew campaign that's, you know, where a lot of the work's already done for you, but it's, you know, it is it, known to be good quality. Or if you've got some stuff you'd really like to contribute, if you've found that, you know, you made some homebrew rules for something or a little campaign with your friends and it went really well, um, then yeah, get in touch with Sean. You can find them on our Facebook group or say over at tcrepo.com and uh, he'd love to hear from you. Um, so yeah, and uh, Chris, I don't know if you've got uh, anything that you'd like to um, highlight while we're here today. Uh, no, good to be back. It's uh, I've been a fan of the podcast since I've featured on it. I've listened to it while I've been away, so it's uh, nice to be featured on and talk about something I'm passionate about, like we said. Shameless plug. Uh, I run the Unrelenting Brush Facebook page. So if you like hobby progress, narrative reports, 
uh, or are interested in having some models painted by myself, check me out at facebook.com forward slash the unrelenting brush commission painter. I'm in the narrative war gamer group relatively frequently. I'll be uploading some bits tomorrow to link in with this episode. Likewise, if you're Midlands based in Derby, Nottingham, Sheffield, Loughborough, check out boardsandswords.co.uk and come and see them at Storrells Road in Derby for some wicked wargaming, lots of table space. Their safety measures around COVID are second to none. Got to wear masks, hand sanitizer on every table, blank tables with generic terrain to be disinfected. So if you want a game safe, game fun, come down to Boards and Swords. Excellent. Well, that all sounds like a whole host of things for our listeners to go check out and um, enjoy while we're not on the air. But until next time, guys, definitely try Crusade. Let us know how it's going on. I've been enjoying some of the Crusade stuff I've been seeing in the Facebook group, and I want to see more of it. I'd love to see some more of the stories and histories of the characters that people are creating on the way. And, um, yeah, as always... This has been the Narrative Wargamer podcast, helping you to discover more ways to play 40 games.